Kristen's doing all of her bird calls to start the day. Also, there's an ant on your trail mix. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 15 of The Silver Chair. This chapter is called The Disappearance of Jill. I am to be Pole's death, also known as Puddleglum, also known as Kristen, <laughs> and this is my co-host. Hi, uh, I'm a mole. Newly waked and still very sleepy, and not well pleased. No, you're not. You're not an owl or a bear just watching and giving advice. No. <laughs> also known as Chris. Hello, Chris. Welcome. Hi. So today we're uh, we're on to chapter fifteen. Next week's going to be the last chapter. We're in the penultimate. <laughs> that was a word chapter. I tried to say. The penultimate chapter. The penultimate. The penultimate. You know what we mean. The banana. <laughs> What's up? Anyway, how are you, Kristen? It's the day I'm... after my birthday that we're recording this. Yes, we are recording this two days after your birthday. We've done all kinds of birthday celebrations for you this week on various different days since we both had to work on your birthday. Sad Correct. face. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But we, but we had a good celebration week. We did. We did. We had a good celebration week. Mm-hmm. So. I'm old now. <laughs> I'm trying to banter with you. This you're is what we do. You're younger than me, <laughs> yep. so stop it with the olds. <laughs> Just stop it. Uh-huh. So how do we start this podcast, Kristen? We do our summaries. So as you and I are reading through the chapter, we select five sentences out of the chapter to summarize the chapter in its own words. What accent was that? To write a summary. Uh, to write a summary of the chapter using its own words. And so, uh, yeah, five sentence summaries. Let's do it. Go. All right. Um, mine's really long this time, so we're going to see if I can get through this without uh, stumbling too much. I don't know. Can you read your writing this time? We'll see. Anyway, here's my summary. Jill had vanished. And when, after considerable sputtering, she could speak again, she quite forgot in her excitement that the others down in the dark behind her still didn't know the good news. Immediately, one of the dryads flung round her a furry cloak which some dwarf had dropped when he rushed to fetch his mining tools, and an obliging fawn trotted off among the trees to a place where Jill could see firelight in the mouth of a cave to get her a hot drink. And out from the blackness into the moonlight, this would have been rather dreadful if one didn't know who they were, came first the long, leggy, steeple-hatted figure of the Marsh Wiggle, and then, leading two great horses, Rillian, the prince himself. Instantly every head was bared and every knee was bent. A moment later, such cheering and shouting, such jumps and reels of joy, such handshakings and kissings and embracings of everybody by everybody else, broke out that tears came into Jill's eyes. There we go. That Jill's came into tears I was eyes. really close. I mean, I, you got it. Uh-huh. You got it. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I like that. I think we only have one sentence in common, and you definitely focused on a very different thing than I did. Okay. Right, so here is mine. Someone's pulling her. They had not only got out into the upper world at last, but had come out in the heart of Narnia. The Narnians, who had not even noticed the little hole in the hillside, were of course very surprised and looked about in several wrong directions before they found out where the voice was coming from. And out from the blackness into the moonlight, this would have been rather dreadful if one hadn't known who they were, came first the long, leggy, steeple-hatted figure of the Marshwiggle, and then, leading two great horses, really in the prince himself. No one doubted for a moment who he was. There you go. There you go. Okay. 
So. Oh, we both followed a similar arc. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I really wanted to include more about the Narnians themselves. Uh-huh. I didn't really want to take the time away from the summary to do that, though. Was it important to the plot? It's not. <laughs> it is, however, like, very much the basis of this chapter. Like, yeah, this chapter only happened because they were there. Yes. So, in this chapter, uh, Jill crawls out of a hole, finds herself in Narnia, and meets some Narnians who rescue her and get her warm and dig out everybody else, and they are all happy. Yep, and we um, have a very, uh, like, Bree and Quinn moment of, of exit out of the hill with the prince that no one expected. Oh, it's Shasta Core. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the only similarity is that they're two horses. Well, I guess. Anyway. See, I was trying to make a joke where I gave like a one-sentence summary of the chapter and was like, let's move on to our rewrites because that's what happens in this chapter. Yeah. But um, I guess let's talk about some things because that's why we're here. Yep. <laughs> so we have perspective from inside the hole of Jill disappearing. Yeah, and I was wrong in my baseless speculation. She didn't find a portal to somewhere else. Shocking. I know. Of course. Yeah. Then I was wrong. Yeah. Never happened. She didn't find herself in some other world from Narnia. That hasn't <sighs> happened. It, it, in, the, in all of... No. It hasn't. But I, I had hope because they were like, oh, hey, they see this strange blue light that's not sunlight because, in fact, it's moonlight, which yeah. in a roundabout way is kind of sunlight. Though, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it works in Narnia. Maybe this the Narnian... Un- Narnian cosmology. May, maybe the Narnian universe is messed up and, like, the moon emits its own light. Who knows? Uh, At the stars, though, we have confirmed are closer than Earth stars, so they're bigger. Whoop. That that is that is confirmed in our cosmology research and studies. Just we, add that into the notes. We have. That's and that's a whole a whole thing I can go into because like the the logistics of that are terrifying. But anyway. Um. Oh. So, the logistics of the stars being closer is terrifying. Not that the stars are actually wizards in the sky uh-huh. who come down to Narnia. That part's not logistically terrifying at all. Well, it's implied that that's what they are in our universe, too. It's implied that we don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, so Jill finds a strange hole in the cave and decides, hey, I'm going to crawl up there. Uh, hey, look, Jill does a thing that's useful and brave and, you know, makes a decision that isn't just like, hey, I should sit in the corner and be quiet. That's the best decision to make. But she's been <laughs> making consistently good decisions, apparently. Yeah. So <laughs> she gets up on Puddleglum's back, climbs in the hole, and from the people in the hole, in the, the cave's perspective, what happens is she cries out, gets muffled by something, and then is pulled out somewhere yes and they can't hold on to her but from jill's perspective what does she see from jill's perspective she sees movement weird light she gets higher up onto the shoulders so that she can see out and she is looking down from a hillside as if from a second story window Mm -hmm. down upon a dance of fawns Mm -hmm. uh the dark things behind them are trees well it's moonlight there's things flying through There's the air. There's snowballs flying through the air. Uh-huh. And she is looking down upon this scene from up on the hill, which is not what the artwork shows, but, you know. I don't have artwork of that scene. You have artwork of the diggings? Yes. With the bear and the owl? Yes. That is the only artwork of the diggings. Ah. And they are digging on a flat surface in that artwork, even though in the text it's very specifically ah. digging a cave out of the side of a hill, basically. Yeah, that is that is true. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Jill sees all of this, and she and she cries out to get their attention to get help. Right as she gets slammed in the face by a snowball, totally unintentionally. I'm uh, based on the story. It, they shouldn't have hit her if everybody had been in the right place in the dance and doing things right. This dance is very much a weaving of snowballs among the dancers. Well, this is the great snow dance. And well, it's this, the first snow. Yes. Well, it specifically happens uh, on the first moonlit night when there's snow on the ground. Ah. So. 
there you details. go if it details. if it just happens that it's a new moon when snow happens then no we gotta wait no we gotta wait yeah an entire like three weeks yeah that's snow moon that's um any anyway oh bless you I'm glad i can make you laugh so much after all these years um anyway it's the first snow dance and there's this whole elaborate thing where there's dwarves and fawns and dryads which as we know like to party it's been established many times they have all sorts of dances in the woods they do uh and they are they, though the dwarves aren't commonly included as part of that not commonly but uh but hey it's a new age for narnia and there's snowballs thrown though it's a very intricate thing where like nobody gets hit with a snowball ideally so i'm in an ideal world sometimes you know Mm-hmm. They mess up, and there was that one time that they decided to go all the way till dawn. It was that one you time when have they seen it. when they get a little bit wild. Bacchus isn't here though, and I'm a little sad about that. Like, what's Bacchus doing if not taking part in like forest dances? Sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. This doesn't seem like a party that he would miss. Um. Anyway, so she comes out and gets as far as I say when a snowball hits her square in the mouth, and that's why. They, from the people in the hole's perspective, she can't talk anymore. Yeah. But she does end up getting herself up into the hole. Yeah. And crying out. And what the people down below hear is just scuffling. Yes. They don't hear her words of, we're stuck here, we're buried in the hill. They think she's been abducted by underland beasts of some kind. And then, yeah, the, the Narnians come and pull her out. And the people underground are freaking out now. Uh huh. Because they, what, can't hear anyone talk? Any voices at all come down from, like, how tall is Puddleglum (laughs) that Jill standing on his shoulders is far enough away that they couldn't hear her? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I... Especially since there's, like, dozens and dozens of animals and and creatures up here. Well, that might be part of it because they're hearing all of the footsteps and stuff. Mm -hmm. The scuffling and the kerfluffling. (laughs) Like the hustle and the bustle. Yeah. The scuffle and their car fluffle. Yep. <laughs> Zigzags and wiggle wags. <laughs> they have so many dumb inside jokes. <laughs> anyway. So. Uh, she goes out, cries out, help, help. And then everybody's rushing toward her because, like, the dance isn't that important. Obviously. Well, I mean, the dance is a celebration of life. If someone's in danger, this is, this you is need life to go. Day. Keep making Star Wars references. Yep, keep it up. We went to uh, went to that Star Wars experience in Disneyland recently, and that was, uh, you know, it's on my mind now. Anyway, it's reignited my love for the franchise. Let's say that. But this is not a Star Wars podcast yet. Um, anyway. <laughs> this is not a Star Wars cosmology podcast. It's um, also not a book of... A House of Leaves podcast, or a so many pod- Starless Sea podcast, or a- so many we should do. I mean, the Star Wars one's a little bit overdone. So many people have done those, so probably not that one. Anyway, so she crawls out of the hole. Everybody runs and helps her, and she's like, "Ermagerd, dig the others out." Also, there's horses down there underground. I she sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, and there's and Prince Rillian, mm-hmm. who's a horse. Yep, but everybody comes running. Uh, Squirrels came out of the trees in showers. Ew. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Uh, I've seen about seven at a time. Is that a shower? Is it like a parliament of owls and a shower of Could squirrels? Be. Uh, and then a prickling of hedgehogs comes waddling out fast from the woods. That's ah. just my made-up name for the group of hedgehogs. <laughs> um, bears and badgers, pumas, oh my... Puma? We need to get through this. Um, <laughs> we're trying so hard to f- fix something to talk about here. Uh, anyway, so they cry out for the doors to get their tools, wake up the moles, which apparently the moles don't take part in this this dance. They're I asleep wouldn't. right now. If I was the moles, I wouldn't. <laughs> it's cold out there. You are all. Anyway, I'm surprised you didn't pick the, uh, the just woken and quite grumpy mole because that just seems like a... Like a me. thing you'd identify with. Yeah, I would. Um, it's too close to home. And there's some debate about whether or not 
uh, Jill is crazy because she's taking, talking about the prince and a couple of horses being underground that they need to dig out. But no but wonder she's crazy after being underground. Of course. Um, but regardless, they go and gather their tools. They get Jill some hot drinks. They're like, hey, come into the cave with some fire. Warm up. It's cold out here. She um, forgets that the people underground don't have the good news. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's a lot going on. She, That's an interesting phrasing from a theologian. Okay. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not. I'm sure I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, good news is a very generic phrase. Yeah. I mean, it's also, if this, if Narnia is England, this is them coming back and finding out that the war is over. Mm-hmm. That never started. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the people underground, the, the people in the bunkers, yeah, that were hiding from the bombings. Uh, let's not get that dark in the podcast. Okay. Anyway. So she runs back, and the first person out of the hole besides Jill is Eustace, who is uh, brandishing a sword. Uh, brandishing a sword. A sword. Brandishing a sword and threatening people. Yep. Uh, and there's a bunch of shouts and which saying, is fully justified. And then we go get his side of things, and he, like as we've already kind of covered. Yeah. He has every reason to believe that someone just kidnapped Jill and that they're still underground and that that weird blue light is from one of the depressing lanterns they've already encountered. And he starts trying to go out and all of a sudden, like, there's hands grabbing for him and there's an avalanche that covers his face in snow and he can't see anything. So, yeah, he's he's probably uh, pretty right to be freaked out here. But he's waving a sword around and, but he is able to come out and they warm him up and wrap him up. They have a moment where they're just like, yay, we're safe, we're alive, we're out in Narnia. Exciting. Yep. Um, and then Jill goes back to the hole and shouts down into it, being like, Ermagerd found Narnians, they're going to dig us out. And Puddleglum is just like... She's That's, crazy. Yep. Same thing that everybody else said when <sighs> yeah. she said Prince Rillian's in the hole. Well, oh, she's crazy, the poor thing's crazy. Oh, hey, Puddleglum, we're in Narnia and they're going to dig us out. Oh, poor thing. She's crazy. She must be crazy. The poor woman is hysterical. She's a lunatic with her moon cycles. Because there's moonlight all of a sudden. I was going to say that. I was going to say that it's a woman who's hysterical. Back before... They keep accusing (laughs) the woman of being crazy. Uh, Back before we were married, uh, I made the mistake of calling you hysterical exactly once i believe yep <laughs> i know where it was i know when it was and i know why it was uh-huh. and you'll never let me forget that <laughs> no i will only remind you that you have been told not to say that if you were to utter it again but you've never had to be reminded see i'm smart sometimes um <laughs> he learned that one <laughs> anywho after he almost got left in saint petersburg Florida, not Russia. Would have been a very different story. <laughs> uh, anywho. So, we talked to Puddleglum. Uh, we... We never get Rillian's perspective on any of this. No, his perspective doesn't matter. He just comes out and is all regal and royal and stuff, and everybody bows to him, and that's his part in the story. Uh, we also don't even get his questions, because once they do get out... Puddleglum is the one who asks about the king. Yeah, and Rillian's been gone for 10 years, and he's just like, yeah, well, whatever, I'll find out. I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll get to Puddleglum's comments in a second. Um, however, there's this line here that I did want to point out. It says, out here in the cold with the moon and the huge stars, because Narnian stars are near uh, than our stars, apparently. Uh, and with kind, merry faces all around them, one couldn't quite believe in Underland. And so there's this really, like... Yeah, I wrote that down, too. There's this reversal where, like, down while they're in Underland and getting enchanted by the witch, she's trying to tell them that the world above had only been a dream, this is the only world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then as soon as they're back here, they're just like, well, Underland seems like a dream. You can't even believe that place exists when you're up here in Narnia. Which is similar to everything with the world, wood between the worlds, yeah, it's all a, of the Narnia Earth issues, like, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, 
it's a metaphor. I guess not a metaphor. It's a, you're the English major. What's the word I'm looking for here? Device? Well, device. A, metaphor is a device. Yeah. It's a... It's, it's an analogy, it's a symbolism, it's a metaphor, it's... It's one of those things that Lewis, I think, uses too much. Uh-huh, allegory. Yeah, because, like, it... It... I don't know, I'm not gonna say it makes the characters' reactions unbelievable, but, like, every time they spend ten minutes in another place that's, like, not even a different realm, like, a different part of the Earth. It's like... It's like going to, you know wherever like you're but that's also the human condition that's a thing that a lot of people don't acknowledge is that like people are very present in where they are and it is very possible especially for someone with hyperfixation um that there is nothing else exists outside of this room right now maybe c.s lewis had adhd possibly and this is and this is him writing a story to represent his experience of the world Entirely possible. It's just. I mean, it, like, I'm not one to diagnose, but like, <laughs> based on the way he's writing, he sounds like somebody who's writing characters who have a hyperfixation. It could be. It just. I don't know. To me, the metaphor never doesn't really make sense, especially with the underground thing, because it's like, hey, you're an American and you flew off to Italy for a vacation, and as soon as you step off the plane, you're just like, was America a dream? Is this my reality now in Italy? I want to be completely honest with you right now. I don't appreciate you laughing at that because that is very truly my experience. Really? Yeah, that is how I experience day-to-day life. You need to figure out how to chill. Um, It's not about chilling. It is about how my brain processes input. Like, it's about my fixations and it's about how my my world building works. Like, anyway... So it it's there's a lot of really f- I don't want to say good a lot of nice imagery here of just being like the midnight air from Narnia and like this dance and this festival and them all coming together and it's a very cozy chapter they're like this is it's very homey and like oh hey they've arrived home and there's hot drinks and there's food and there's warmth and there's friends and all these things and it's a I don't know I I, I feel like you could have extended this chapter and just ended the book right here. Next chapter is the last, the ultimate chapter in the book, Healing of Harms, where, you know, magically in three pages they go through a portal and end up back on Earth. Sorry, that's faceless speculation. I don't know they end up back. <laughs> um, however, I feel like this would have been a good note to end on if he wrapped it up here. Yeah, but he can't end with the kids still in Narnia. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, so finally the moles show up, and the moles and the dwarves get to work, although they don't really consider it work. They love to do they, this. They love digging. Uh, it's a great time. They open up a big chasm, big enough apparently for the horses to get out of. Yep. And That was the goal. They uh, they pull out Puddleglum, who apparently everybody's been worried about. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's him. It's a wiggle. It's the wiggle. It's the marsh wiggle Puddleglum that we've been looking for, and there's a reward out. Oh, Trump can put out a reward for the missing Puddleglum. Trumpkin did. Like, yeah. what connection does Puddle Glum have with Trumpkin? That's what you need to put covering your speculation. It is kind of, because I, I feel like there has to be a connection here because, like, Trumpkin just can't be omniscient about every single creature in his kingdom and being like, Ermagerd one's missing. We need to find out yeah. where they've gone. So, obviously, you know, Trumpkin, maybe the owls said something because the owls are the ones that took yeah, them to... Yeah, but the owls would have said... <laughs> He went off on a journey. Like, not that he's missing. He's not missing. Except maybe they've taken too long. Like, they maybe they were expected back much sooner than they were since they ran into all sorts of trouble. And they were like, hey, they should have been back three weeks ago. Something's Fair. possibly happened. Fair. They were gone for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Um, anywho. So, everybody's super excited to see Puddleglum for, like, five minutes until... Uh, Rillian comes out of the hole. Yep. And, and they all just go silent. Everybody goes silent because everybody knows who he is. Uh, some of them remembered Caspian and how he looked when he was young. Others knew Rillian personally. Uh, however, but but Lewis would like to think that they would have known him anyway just by this air of, of royalty. I mean, it's, the, it's very much the Narnian magic thing is that yeah. royalty and leadership has this magic aura about it. Yeah. Like, that's been consistent. I find it interesting that Lewis 
being as much of an iconoclast as he is, mm-hmm. it's a good word, um, and kind of being in the frame of mind to tear down institutions and be like, oh, the modern educational system is, is garbage and we need to rethink this, and like the, his willingness to attack uh, a lot of what the church was doing and to go against the grain on issues of theology and being kind of this rebellious character. I find it interesting that he, as an Englishman, is still so enamored with the idea of royalty. Yeah. Like, that is a thing he is just, like, all about. It's like, he has never said a single bad thing about anybody who actually had a claim to the throne. Like, we have characters like Mraz who are like, yeah, you know, he usurped it and it doesn't belong there. But anybody who's on the Narnian throne, he's just like, yes. They have this air about them, and they talk so well, and they're like, they, they have, you know, they have this halo on their heads, like, yeah, I don't know. This very divine right of kings yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is weird, <laughs> but also it's part of British culture, uh-huh. and if Narnia is representing England, which it often is in some of his stories, like... Uh-huh. It very much makes sense as well that he would bestow upon the leadership of his England analog and his stories the same divine right of kinghood that he's mentally associated with the Church of England. Yeah. I'm curious, like, just as a thought experiment, to say if everything else had stayed the same but Lewis had been American instead, how would these stories have been different? Mm-hmm. I don't know, because there's a lot of fantasy in America. Mm-hmm. But it probably would have been more like people saw how like upright he was by his actions, or that he had clearly lived a, a life of struggle and hard work or something. I don't uh-huh. know. Pulled himself up by his bootstraps. <sighs> Say. Anyway... I'm just going to stop right there. Uh, anyway, there's a huge celebration when Rillian comes out of the hole. Uh, everybody's kissing and hugging. And this is... I this noted is this, a COVID super spreader event. It right really now. is. Uh, but I also noted that there's this line that I included in my uh, summary. Such handshakings and kissings and embracings... And I believe that is the first time in any media I've read those three things pluralized. Kissings? Kissings. I was like, I don't think I've ever read the word kissings before anywhere. And embracings and handshakings. It's just not a thing that... I know I've seen shakings of ha- shaking of hands. Yeah. As a plural, but handshakings. Interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad that this could rock your I've, world I've in read this a, way. I've read a new word. Yay! <laughs> uh, in here, this children's book this children's written book. seventy years ago. Yes. Actually, I think we've we've gotten a couple of new words that we had to look up just because they were very archaic. Yeah, uh, I was very sleepy when I tried to read this chapter last night and uh-huh. got myself really confused with the line I used for my introduction uh-huh. um, to be poles death. Yeah. Because I thought that he was saying to ha- like to have a pole's death and I was like I got to look up what a pole's death is. <laughs> I was like is this is, is this, this like being burned at the stake? This, What's a pole's death? Is this a Polish joke? <laughs> <laughs> uh while we're talking about weird ways to phrase things, I struggled a lot with the first sentence of this chapter, which I just want to read here because like I had to read it four times. Okay. The patch of light did not show up anything down in the darkness where they were standing. <laughs> Is that grammatically correct? <laughs> the patch of light did not show up anything down in the darkness. It didn't that, light up anything uh, down yeah. in the darkness, yeah. Okay. But that's... <laughs> Those are all ways you can use those words. Okay. But that one, I, was, I read that as the first sentence of this chapter, and I was just like, oh boy, we're in for a struggle this time. <laughs> um, anyway, so all sorts of celebrations. Uh, then they come out, they start getting caught up. Um, Puddleglum casts, like, this epic 
ninth level magic. He really uh, does. And, and comes up and is just like, all right, well, My obviously while well, it's going. My story Yeah. Has the king been shipwrecked? Any forest fires? No wars on the Calorman border? Or a few dragons, I shouldn't wonder. And he's just like, all right, I'm, I need to rewrite the timeline itself here just in case anything happened really while though. I was gone. Really, though. <laughs> So if it, that if is what just happened there, for real. Yeah, if we're, if we're continuing the narrative that uh, Puddleblum is actually a high-level wizard. This isn't about continuing a narrative. This is about confirmation bias. But uh, uh-huh. he is. He is. Yeah. He is the re- He's holding Narnia together. Yeah, he really is. He has been up there on the northern border protecting Narnia with the Marsh Wiggles from these... White witches of the, and green witches of the north uh-huh. for who knows how long. But they are like Aslan's line of defense to dispel the magic of the enchantments of the the, the witches that have dealings with the giants in the north. The Wiggles. Yeah. Uh, Gotta have the Wiggles to protect from the witches. He's, a, he's an orc from the Warhammer universe, which is my super nerdy reference I have to throw out now. Okay. Uh, which I'll explain to anybody who isn't familiar. Uh, so it's one of my, my favorite pieces of, of sci-fi fiction is that in the, the Warhammer 40k universe, which is just absolutely absurd in every way. And if you can stomach like massive amounts of lore, definitely look into it. Cause it's just, I don't know, just do it anyway. Uh, the whole backdrop of the Warhammer universe is the eternal war between the orcs, space orcs and the Imperium of man. And the space orcs are spakes. The spakes, the space orcs in universe are incredibly powerful psychics. Okay. And like, in it, like, just inborn with absurdly powerful psychic magic that they don't realize they are using because they're too stupid. Okay. And so, like. You have things like orcs flying around in spaceships that have open windows. Okay. Because they want windows and don't realize why that's a bad idea, but their magic is making it work anyway. Okay. And, like, they have they have giant war machines where, like, where the engine should be, there's just a piece of paper with the word engine written on it. <laughs> and it still works because, like, their magic is just so all-encompassing. I love everything about this. <laughs> I really do feel like this is the first you've told me about these uh, these friends. Yeah, and so I feel like this is almost what the Marsh Wiggles are in this universe. I do. Like I, they, I, yeah, I mean, they like, are like so unaware of the magic that they wield. Yes, and that's why they can't be corrupted by it. This is how you can wield powerful magic in Narnia. Yeah. Is by not being aware that you're doing it. It's fair. So, there you go. Um, that's why the Marsh Wiggles live up there by the border. They're the first line of defense yep uh as i said i'm glad you agree with me anyway uh glad i can contribute to this podcast (laughs) thank you for contributing anyway so we're catching up really tells them the story about how he was trapped like the witch etc etc uh and then they i the last thing i really wanted to point out in this chapter was this line and now they all saw what it meant how a wicked witch Doubtless the same kind as that white witch who had brought the great winter on Narnia long ago had contrived the whole thing, first killing Rillian's mother and then enchanting Rillian himself. So for clarification, this book was written before the magician's nephew. Yes. And this is like just confirmation that what we've been talking about through the entire book is accurate. Like probably originally there were supposed to be a number of witches. Maybe they all had colors. But like the white witch and the green witch are somehow related or at least in the same class of beings that are up there yeah so why lewis decided to go back and retcon that entire thing i don't know i mean i'm like i feel like that's the 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 most major instance of him just completely changing the story because i feel like other things have been slightly inconsistent but that one's like a huge deal where he's just like i'm going to completely flip the narrative on what these witches are all about yeah it is and it's definitely not like conveying the 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 same intensity about where this came from like now we did have the white witch brought here and then 
in other settings, the what like in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch was described as being like half giantess. Uh-huh. And so we now, like if we were reading these in writing order, would have this very built up image of half giantess or like having giantess blood in or giant blood in them. Uh-huh. The witches, now that there's like a coven of them in the north with like giant blood in them that have connections with the giants and have done all of this efforts every age to take over Narnia. Uh-huh. But we also have the magician's nephew, which if we were reading these in publishing order would be one of the next, would be, we would read Horse and His Boy next and then Magician's Nephew. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, I like, I, it's very retconny now, like looking at the Magician's Nephew now. Mm-hmm. What did you do, Lewis? Yeah, if only we could ask him, man. Pay, uh, pay us $5 a month to get on our Patreon where we conduct a seance to try to get in touch with the, uh, <laughs> the spirit of C.S. Lewis. Oh, man. Uh, that would be really fun. That would piss so many people off, but it would be really fun. Anyway. <laughs> so. It's uh, true. Um, special Halloween episode. <laughs> so anyway, uh... Rillian's talking about all his adventures, and the dwarf he's talking to is just like, yep, that's the problem with these northern witches. They always want the same thing. Let's just generalize here. Yep. And that's where we end. That's what happens in the chapter. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Uh, nothing that I had notes on. We talked about everything. Cool. Uh, except for, like, the dance itself, and the, like, the structure of the dance, and... Seems really fun and pretty, like yeah. with little snowballs flying about. It, like it's a very magical image. Yeah, but also that there was music that care with the dance that carried magic in the same way that the witches enchanting magic. This is worked. good magic. But this is good magic. But Jill could feel that there was magic in the same way that she could feel the witches' magic. Mm-hmm. But what is this magic doing? Because like they're just they're they're celebrating. They're doing a dance. Like they're yeah. they're doing a little solstice celebration. So there's magic here, but to what end? I guess is. So this is what happens. Um, we good? Yeah, like I said, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. Everything I got. So let's go ahead and go into our next segment. Sure. So our next segment is Narnia, chopped and screwed. And in this segment, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, which, what are you doing here <laughs> in book six, chapter 15? Weird first episode. Is this but chapter is, 15? Because yes. I did write 14 at yep, the top of my Yep, it's chapter page. 15. After last week's episode of me not knowing what chapter, I just it's want the, to confirm for everybody that starting this episode, I didn't know what chapter we were doing. It's the penal episode. It's the penal. <laughs> anyway, so we go back through the chapter and pick out five additional sentences uh, that usually don't have any in common with our rewrites i don't think that we've ever reused we don't have sentence. a rule about that we don't i've reused sentences wow uh but we use those to tell our entirely uh unique story that we come up with unique entirely yep. unique yeah totally um, we are unique story writers here this is what we do yep um so i read my summary first so if you'd like to read your rewrite first all right let's do it cool here is my rewrite yep can't you see? They're all friends. The poor child's crazed and no wonder for after being lost inside the hill. I can steady myself all right against the edge. She's beginning to see things. <laughs> okay. There's a little story about Jill being crazy. Yep. Actually. Yep. Cool. That's it. <laughs> I wasn't trying to go into it. The really, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't skip over all of the talk about Jill being crazy. Yeah. But we, that came up in the discussion, so. You really wanted to get in there. Yeah, because it's, it's harsh. Yeah. It's very harsh mm-hmm. for someone who's just come back to Narnia for the first, second time. She's sort of been in Narnia for a day before. Yeah. Like, um, you're, like you're crazy. <laughs> Go ahead. See, you say that. I, I, I want to take an aside here and just be like, if you are out doing your solstice dance in the middle of the woods and, like, 
a little girl crawls out from a hillside and is just like, Ermagerd, you have to help me. My friends and their horses are buried in the hill. Would you immediately be like, yeah, that makes sense? They obviously <laughs> did because they all immediately <laughs> ran over, told the dwarves to start getting their tools. They did. They woke up the yeah. moles. They obviously believed her that her and her friends were buried in the hill. Uh-huh. What they, the part that they call her crazy for is for saying that Rillian is in there. Yeah. That's the part that they call her crazy for. Anyway. And then you have Puddleglum who calls her crazy for saying that there was anyone out there at all that was friendly. Yeah, Jill's having a bad day. Uh, anywho, I'll go ahead and read my rewrite. She literally just delivered their salvation to them. <laughs> and did. they're like every side. Yeah. She just delivered the good news of Rillian to the Narnians and the good news of freedom to Rillian and Puddleglum uh-huh. and Eustace at every side that she turns Every one of them calls her crazy. Yeah. He's having a bad day. Anyway, here is my rewrite. I say, began Jill, but suddenly broke off with a cry. Not a sharp cry. Pale though he was from his long imprisonment in the deep lands, dressed in black, dusty, disheveled, and weary, there was something in his face and air which... No one could mistake. Everything's all right. Jill rejoined Eustace, and they shook one another by both hands and took in great deep breaths of the free midnight air. Their quest had been worth all the pains it cost. Are you telling a new story? I I was just kind of doubling down on this relationship development between Jill and Eustace. I, I, I don't know if it's new, but like I kind of reframed it to right. explore their relationship. All right. Should we go into our final segment now, Kristen? Let's do it. What do we do there? We do, um, well, we. <laughs> this final segment's your segment. Why am I introducing it? Because I introduced the last one and I try to alternate with you. No, you don't. <laughs> You do not put effort into making that happen. It's always been a thing. What are you talking no, about? No. It has not. So this this is basis, baseless speculation. Uh-huh. It's your segment. Yeah. Uh, I've never read this book before except for now. Um, In baseless speculation, Chris uses the lack of knowledge that he has to create a more interesting story. Yep. That's what I do. By telling us what he think is, is think is, is what he think is, is what he thinks is going to happen. Yes. And now there's only one chapter left, so I think this one's going to be really good. Yeah. Um. Gosh, I don't. I don't know how much I have for this one. So I guess what I want to do is break down what I think the denouement for all the characters is going to be individually. And how they're going to end up the story. Okay. Um. So we have Jill and Eustace, um, who I'm I'm gonna say go back to Earth because that would be a real weird break from tradition if they didn't because they all go back to Earth in the end. If they just choose to stay here, that'd be pretty crazy. But what's going to happen when they get there? Are they going to go right back to the minute they left? Are they going to still be running actively from bullies? So I'm. I don't think so. I don't think they're going back right to the minute they left. Maybe they do, and the bullies catch up with them, and they use that would their... also be a break from tradition. While we're complaining yeah. about that potential, uh, they go back, and with their newfound Narnian strength, they just put the beat down on those bullies and just just put them down. No, I think put them down. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> wow. No, I. I think in order for them to have some sort of uh, happy resolution, which has been the case for all the stories, they have to end up out of Experiment House somehow. So they're going to go back and find a way to escape and run away? I don't know. I've been trying really hard to come up with a a way that makes narrative sense for them to not be in Experiment House anymore. Because I feel like Lewis isn't going to end it and be like, oh, and they go back and that's where they're in school for the next six years and they both grow up to be boring people. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he is. I think he's going to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think somehow they 
end up going back and there's a little quick nod to, oh yeah, and they left because like they beat up these other kids and got kicked out and so they had to go to another school or something. Um, will Aslan tell them that they're not coming back to Narnia like the jerk he is? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is Jill's first trip, so she's got at least another one in her. This is Eustace's second, and I feel like Eustace has gotten all that he's going to get out of Narnia at this point. Okay. Uh, between his two journeys, so he might pull uh, Eustace aside and be like, hey, buddy, so by the way, you're too old now. Go be a man and, you know, get a job as a banker in Earth or something. Um, I'll make a man <laughs> out of you. That maybe Jill comes back. However, for the next book, The Last Battle, which I have not read, I have this feeling that we're just going to bring back absolutely everybody. But is Adele so, Pennyfather going to be there? Because <laughs> that's the character uh, I really want an arc for. Yeah, me too. And So I think they are going to come back for The Last Battle like everybody is going to. But uh, I don't know. They end up finding a way out of Experiment House. That's their that's their deal. Okay. And maybe they get a quick little snarky remark from Aslan about how they didn't follow the signs, and this journey would have actually taken them like three days if they had just uh, paid attention. Yeah, and then they wouldn't have grown as people. They wouldn't have. Like, <laughs> I feel like the at, at I feel like the point is not the 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 task. But the point is the journey. Yeah. And I feel like if Aslan actually did get mad at them for failing to follow the signs, like, he would then have to have had a different story arc for Jill. Accurate. Uh, so that's them. Uh, Puddleglum. What happens to Puddleglum? Gosh. I I think maybe he, he gets offered some sort of court position and, like, for his heroic deeds of rescuing the prince. Really, and it's just like, hey, I want you to come and be you know, my royal wizard or something, and he's going to become the Rasputin of, uh... Wrong! No, Rasputin! Russia's greatest love machine. Uh, and advisor and sorcerer for the throne. Though I feel like it would be very much in Puddleglum's character to deny that, because I think all he wants to do is go back to his little hut and smoke his mud and eat fish. Yeah. And, like, he just wants to go home, so I highly doubt he would accept that offer. Okay. Um, so he's going to go back to the front lines, uh, fighting the war against any new upstart witches that might come back out of, uh, the North. Absolutely. Um, Rillian, I, I don't think it makes any sense for Caspian to just come back. See, but Caspian was seeking out Aslan. Yes. To find out what was going to happen with Narnia and the prince. Yeah, and that's the only And way. so I think that he's going to get to the Lone Islands. Aslan's going to be there and be like, turn around and go back. Your son's at home. Yeah, or... Because be. that is also so Aslan. Yeah, or or maybe Aslan just makes a magic door in the air again and Caspian shows up to see Rillian one last time. And then he goes back to... Ramondu's Island. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be more narratively interesting if Caspian just disappears and doesn't come back, and Rillian's just like, well, what happened? Is he dead out there? Is he alive? I gotta go look for my father before things happen. And then we have the the voyage of the... the, (sighs) Don Treader 2. I was gonna say the the unearthed snowstorm or something, (laughs) like... Um, Yeah, I think it'd be more narratively interesting if Caspian doesn't show up, though I think he's going to. And they're going to have an, at least a moment before Caspian dies and Rillian takes the throne, etc., etc. Uh, we don't have any female love interest, though. We don't have a queen for him. He's just going to be a... He's going to be a bachelor king. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have anybody he can shack up with. So... Yeah. Seems that way. Yeah. It's like... Even, like, even at a stretch, there's just, there's just nobody in this book. Which is fun. Like, this is a, this is a book that doesn't include, like, a weird pseudo love story uh like a lot of them have jill and eustace discover they liked fighting so much that they got married in the future so they could do it more conveniently <laughs> yeah uh, i'm gonna say that's the line so that's jill and eustace puddleglum really in uh the horses live happily ever after um i don't i don't think i have anybody else to to really talk about all right so cool. i guess that's that's what happens. Like the gnomes have gone back to the the, the underdark, and they're going to live there, and we don't hear from the gnomes again. Um. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well. I, I got nowhere else to go. Next chapter, I'll speculate about what's going to happen in the last battle, but. Cool. All right. So thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter 15 of The Silver Chair. Please join us next week as we discuss a chapter 16 titled The Healing of Harms. The ultimate chapter. The final chapter in The Silver Chair. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, between now and our next episode, you can follow us on social media at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the snowball dance at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, uh, maybe the next time someone says, oh, that person's crazy, you should listen to the, the crazy person. They probably have some good news for you. <laughs> and don't try to don't try to talk with a mouthful of snow. Absolutely not. Bye. Bye. By telling us what he think is is think is is what do you think is is? Go. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've been trying to wrap this up, and you just keep saying yeah, yeah. And there's nothing else to say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's nothing else to say. Next week's gonna be the last chapter. We're in the penultimate. That was a word I tried to say. The penultimate chapter. The penultimate. The penna. <laughs> you know what we mean. The penna. <laughs> What's up? Bears and badgers, pumas, oh my. Puma? And she cries out, Why are there our plans? before I use this in the podcast. This is not a Star Wars cosmology podcast. Short, uh, brandishing Schward. a sword. A sword. Brandishing a sword and threatening people.